This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Um, wouldn't we all, I mean, isn't our goal ultimately to protect our children? Our job is to protect these kids. And, and in fact, if we could somehow, if we could somehow like put cameras on our kids' outfits and little earpieces and, and have a screen where we could actually watch them throughout their day just to protect them from all the things that could happen, you know, wouldn't we, wouldn't that be great? And so if you had like nine kids, I guess you'd have nine screens. You know, if you had 10 kids, you could have 10 screens. And, you know, they, you take turns between the mama and the tati where you just watch them on the screen. When they're in class, just to make sure they don't get embarrassed, you, you, you tell them what to say when the teacher calls on them. You know, like, just so they shouldn't get any, you know, any embarrassing moments and exactly what to answer on the, on the playground when they're not getting picked for a team. You know, you're, you're over there going like, you're amazing. Like, don't, don't feel bad that you didn't get picked for the play. You're, you're, you're wonderful. So we could, like, really protect our kids. But the funny thing would be that, in fact, the most dangerous thing for our kids in the end, I mean, given that nothing crazy happens, but the, the most dangerous thing for our kids is what? We do protect too much. <laughs> yeah, we could talk about that, too. And I don't mind talking about that, actually, in a minute. What's the most dangerous thing for our kids? Socialism. Socializing. <laughs> Socializing. Yeah. yeah. Us. <laughs> We're the most dangerous thing for our kids. I mean, think about it. Aren't you made up of your parents' greatest and worst? Aren't you? I and mean, we're, you know, although it may seem grim, you're a lot like them. Okay? They, your parents' greatest and worst is inside you. And, you know, friends have to deal with you, but kids have like an intravenous drip line straight from your best and worst. It's going right into your kids. So we're really our kids' biggest issue. We are our kids' biggest issue. Meaning they're schooling. It's, there's issues. You know, they're socializing. There's issues. Protecting them from weirdos. Issues. Okay, those are all issues. But, but we're the kids' worst issue. And the reason we're the worst issue is because we haven't worked out our own stuff. We're not worked out. And not only that, we're carrying stuff. We're carrying stuff from Europe. We're carrying stuff from the war. We're carrying all kinds of stuff. And our kids have to somehow live in all of that. And, you know, and, and somehow make it. And we are our kids' biggest issue. For example, communication. It's really important for kids that, that, we have, that we're communicating, that we're really actually open and communicating with our kids. But in our society, we're coming from Europe, communication's just not, we're not getting an A in communication. You know, it just, you don't get an A in communication when you're from Europe. And I grew up on the West Coast. We get an A in communication. In fact, we communicate too much on the West Coast. It's like you heard of TMI. You know what TMI is? Too much information. <laughs> West Coasters give you, they tell you more than you want to know. And the, whereas here, it's like, uh, how would you call it? N-E-I. <laughs> what does that stand for? Not enough information. And what happens is you got people eating their hearts out for years and years and years and years. I mean, when I, when I first uh, started running seminars on the East Coast, because I ran them always in Israel. When I first started running seminars on the East Coast, it was like, it was like literally watching a cork come off a bottle or, or, a, or like a, a brick come out of a dam. And all of a sudden, people are really like, all the stuff's coming out years and years and years because they finally felt safe enough to release all the stuff which by the way is an amazing thing if you want a happy life why who are the happiest people in the world who are the happiest people on earth 
We're the happiest people. It's, it's all the people in Vision is Muncie who are under the age of four. Toddlers. Toddlers are the happiest people on earth. Okay? Toddlers are the happiest people on earth in every single community, no matter what country, no matter what city, no matter what community you're in. The toddlers are always happy. Who is the saddest people? Who shows the most emotion? Toddlers. Same people. And they're giving you the great hint is that if you want to be happy, you've got to express emotion. You've got to express your emotion. You've got to let your stuff out. Because if you hold your stuff in, well, the joy also stays in. And so, the, so communication is just one example where our kids aren't being taught to share their feelings. Which means if something does go wrong throughout the day, you know, in our kids' day, the, the, what's the likelihood they're going to tell you about it? Very unlikely. Because they don't want to upset their parents about their little tzadikal. You know, little tzadikal can't read so well. You know, they're not going to, they're not coming home to tell you about their reading issue. You're going to, you're going to be waiting until you get a call from the menial saying, uh, you know, we think your kid needs a, a tutor. Why? What's wrong with my child? Like, well, he can't read. It's like, oh, I'd have to hear from the menial. Why didn't the kid tell me? Because the kid doesn't want to upset his parents. They had a little tzadikal. But why didn't the kid tell the parents? The answer is because it's, it's not open communication. It's not a home where people speak about these things. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't speak that way. And so people are afraid, ashamed. They don't, they don't want to speak. Anyway, that's one example. Now, another thing, where, where our parents, we are our kids' worst danger. Another reason we're our kids' worst danger is, is protection. We overprotect our kids. See, in God's world, you... You, you go about your life, and things push back, and you start to understand the shapes of things. Now, obviously, you protect your kids. You, know, you put them in seatbelts. If they're on a bike, you put them in a helmet. You know, like, there's certain things. You, know, you keep an eye on them when they're little. From you know, They're not going, down, going to 13th Avenue on an errand when they're five years old. Okay? We take care of our kids, obviously. General protection, for sure. And vigilant protection. But what happens is we make our kids scared of everything. I'll tell you one story. I was I was with a, a Belzer family. Sorry to mention Chassidiot. I usually don't, but for some reason I already mentioned Visions Muncie. Now we're on Bells. So I was with a Belzer. My wife and I and our kids and a Belzer family we're close with. We're all at the we're at the, uh, a place called Gani Yeshua. Gani Yeshua is near Benebrak, and uh, we're sitting on the grass having a picnic. And there's a little kind of the grass goes right to a little lake, and then there's like a drop about three feet into the water. And they had a three-year-old there, and we had a three-year-old there. And they didn't enjoy themselves much because they were tr- always trying to make sure their three-year-old didn't fall in the water. And boy, did that three-year-old almost fall in the water several times. We, on the other hand, paid no attention to our three-year-old other than making sure our three-year-old was within sight. And finally, uh, the kids came running up. The kids, would their job was to follow their three-year-old. Came, you know, they, they switched. So the kids came up to us, aren't you afraid your three-year-old's going to fall into the water? And so, at which point I replied, I said, our kid's not suicidal. I mean, she sees the water. Like, she knows she doesn't swim. It's also a three-foot drop into the water. She doesn't get near three-foot drops anyway. Because three-year-olds don't do well with a three-foot drop. And especially in the water. She'll take care of herself. And she did the entire time. Never even got near, not even got near falling. Even though she played at the edge of, for, you know, half the time. And, and then I said to them, I said, listen, we don't need to, there's enough to be afraid of in the world. We don't need to add fear to our children. 
Like, there's enough to be afraid of. We don't have to add any fears. At which point, you ready for this? They're, they're like 15, maybe 14-year-old Bacher turns around, tears in his eyes, and says, he said, my parents put all their fears into me. And the mother goes like this. She goes, and he was literally like there were tears coming down his face. And the amount of fear that was put into the kids of every little last thing that could happen. Now, it could be that the reason we're so protected is because we've been through hell. You know, we, we literally went through, we went through hell a couple generations ago. And if you think that wears off in one generation, it doesn't. I once touched, I once just touched to give a little chizik. I, get, I touched a bucher who was like, you know, 18 years old or something, 19 in Yerushalayim. I just put my hand on his back to say, like, hello, you know, you're cared for. You know, he's far from his parents who live in, you know, in, in uh, wherever, and he's from Williamsburg. And I, I just touched his shoulder. The <laughs> kid jumped. The kid jumped. I said, what was that? He said, my family, we don't touch. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, that's one love language down. You know, it's one of the love languages. I guess that's, that's off the list. You know, what else do you do? Don't tell me you don't share words of love. He says, love? No one's ever told me they love me ever. You know, I once had a, I once had a group of uh, men who, uh, a, a group of men, the youngest of them was probably 35. They were, they were ages 35 to 50. And I, I was speaking on the subject, and I asked, uh, I asked them, when was the last time any of you said, I love you? You know, I, I'm going to say this for Lindsay Shamas, but the last guy the, that had said it in this particular group was uh, was ten years earlier. One of them had said it ten years earlier, and one of them raised his hand and sold a joke. He said, "He said, uh, he said, I told her on the night I married her that I love her, and if anything changes, he'll let her know." Anyway, so now. Of the love languages, which I think usually on Shabbos they give me the class love five love languages, but uh, of two two are already out. Words, touch, and so what's left? A couple good ones. Now, the way protection works. I'm sorry. The way you build a kid, the way you build a kid is you let the world push back. You let them go make some mistakes. You let them do their thing. And what happens is the world will push back, and then you start to learn what the world's all about. And then you can be courageous. But when, our, when we put in, when we build in the fears into our kids, so they, they're too afraid to even push into the world. So the whole world becomes dangerous. It's one giant dangerous world. And, of course, we'll create a hushkafa out of that. We'll say, like, yeah, well, as soon as your kids, you've got to protect them. You, know, you don't want them going out into the world. You know, the world's a dangerous place. You know, you got a lot of, uh, you know, freikite out there. You know, like, like maybe, maybe meaning we'll build a hushkafa around it. Maybe human beings are great at building hushkafa around dysfunction. And so we'll make a whole hushkafa around it. But in fact, the, what we're doing is we're literally crippling our kids. And don't forget that the boys, they're going to have to earn a pranasa for their, for their families. And... And that's a courageous thing. That takes a lot of courage. And the way you build courage in a kid is give the kid the lay of the land. And how does a kid get the lay of the land? How does a kid understand his environment? Because the environment pushes back. I'm I'm a public speaker, so I I generally push... You know, I I generally am very... um, You know, I'm pretty out there. I don't... I'm going to push all the limits possible. Why? 
email. Because <laughs> if I go too far, I get an email. Or more, many emails. And someone says, hey, you know, what was that all about? And then I say, huh, okay. Nice to see the edge. Nice to see the edge. Okay, that's an edge. And then I send a very polite email back. And I say, thank you so much for your feedback. And uh, you're right, maybe that was a little too far. Maybe I spoke, I went too far on that one. Thanks for the feedback. And now I know where the edge is. Otherwise, I'll spend my whole life with, uh, wearing a muzzle as a public speaker. I mean, who needs a public speaker is trying to look good and be careful not to get bad feedback. Nobody, nobody needs that guy. Anyone want, anyone want to go to that class? What are you going to learn? So, one of the ways that our kids need us is to let them make some mistakes, and that's okay. And the, but you got to be protective, but not too protective, so that they themselves can grow. Now, I want to share with you something about a Kurdish Borho. And what I'd like to share with you about a Kurdish Borho, do, do you mind if I remove my hat? I feel funny being the only guy in a hat. Considering the fact I didn't wear a couple for the first 23 years of my life, I got to be wearing a hat. Yeah, so. <laughs> we're going to shift gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about the fact that God is not religious. <laughs> God's just not religious, okay? He's not, a, he's not a religious Jew, okay? God is not religious, nor did he create a religion. Human beings create religions. God gave Torah. Torah's prophecy. Torah's nevuah. God gave nevuah. That's not a religion. Has it spawned off a lot of religions? Yeah, a lot of religions were born from us that human beings made up. But God didn't create a religion. God created prophecy. And we're the result. Yeah, we're in funny shape at this point in history. I don't know if God even recognizes us sometimes. You know, you imagine Asaph and Yankov. They're like trying to decide who's theirs and who's, uh, you know, whose progeny is whose. You know, <laughs> and sometimes I wonder if Asaph's like that one's mine. You know, and, and, and it's a yid. You know, Yaakov's like, yeah, I think that is yours. Okay, now the. Let me give you an example of how we know God isn't religious. Have you ever, please don't raise your hand, I'm going to ask you a question, do not raise your hand. Have you ever done anything wrong? <laughs> of course, all the ladies are like, no. The men are like, yes. So, <laughs> I'm pleased if anyone's sitting near the edge, it's starting to fill in as people check in. Just don't sit on the edge so people can come sit. Okay? It's a natural thing to want an aisle seat, I understand, but it makes it impossible for anyone else to join. So, if you're sitting in an aisle, just slide in a, two seats. Just go in two. Just let someone else sit there. Go in a couple seats. Otherwise, it, what happens is it winds up disrupting the class, and then people are embarrassed, people are embarrassed to come in because they have nowhere to sit. Okay. <sighs> so back to our question. Have you ever done anything wrong? <laughs> okay. <laughs> now the next question. Did God allow you to do something wrong? The answer is... Yes, he did. And, okay, let's go even further. Did God arrange it? I mean, can anything happen without God arranging it? Yes, God arranged it. To the detail. And why? Why? Why would God do that? Isn't God religious? <laughs> no, he's not so religious. 
God has created us with free will to earn a relationship with God. Now, imagine every time you tried to do something wrong, you would like some crazy Ashkacha process would stop you. <laughs> you wouldn't have any free will. You understand? So God has to arrange it. But I'd like to go even further. And what I'd like to say even further is that, is that God set up the Bria. Oilam God set up the Bria to conspire. You know the word conspiracy, like, like people are doing things behind the scenes, like there's a conspiracy. Okay? The, the short of conspiracy is conspire. God created the world to conspire with desire. In the way that a person wants to go, tell me, is malichin singular or plural? Plural. plural. Well, that's weird. Shouldn't it say, that's how God leads him? No. Who are they? So who are they? They are, now we're going to go into a little Kabbalah. Okay? There's an oilam called Atsilus. Everything's one in Atsilus. Then there's an oilam called Bria, where the ten spheres you know, distinguish themselves. Then there's a world of Yetzirah, where, where they're, you know, they're starting to weave something. Then there's a world of, As- of Asiya, where they finally weave this, this giant holographic you know, projection we're in right now. Because that, that's our world. Okay? Now, that entire system, from Atsilus, not so much in Atsilus, but once you're in Berea, and all the way down to Yitzira, and all the way down through the worlds of Asiya, we're at the bottom of Asiya, all the way down through the worlds of Asiya, it's all filled with entities, which are called Malachim. Malachim are entities. And it's filled with many, 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 many of them. In fact, I found out the number. You know how many are, there are in the whole system? A Godzillion. It's a Godzillion. You ever heard the number Godzillion? Only God knows how many zillion. There are. Okay? It's a new number. Uh, you, by the way, I, I've coined a few things over the years. You can, you, you can please take them. You, know, you can even say you made it up. Okay? It's a godzillion. So there are godzillions of entities coming down the system. And what is their job? Well, their job is to handle three particular flows. Just like right now there's electricity and coming into this room from the lights. Okay? There's a flow coming one way. Now, obviously, if we douse one of those light sockets with water, it's going to go that way and hit a breaker. So there's not, a, you know, a, not an explosion or something. There's going to be a breaker. So it will go that way. But generally, electricity, as long as nothing goes wrong, it's one way. When it comes to to our creation, there's, it's three ways. The first way is or yashar. Or yashar is when Hashem's just sending down the orient self into creation. That's called or yashar. The second way is when we send stuff up with our, what? With our... With our de- desire, our rutzon, and we send it upward with our rutzon, so it starts going up the system. Like tefillah, for example. Tefillah is an excellent example of what's called orchoser. So there's or yashar comes down, or choser goes up, or tefillah is orchoser. But rutzon's the most powerful orchoser. And amazingly, it's rutzon with tefillah. Whoa! Like the, like the, 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 what do you call him? The, who, what was it called? The Holy Ganav that he's calling him. Davin, that he shouldn't get caught. You know. So he's got a rutzon. Does, is Hashem going to let him? Yes. Is Hashem going to, is Hashem going to arrange it? Yes. And tefillah is like putting a ribbon on it. And what happens is all those entities called malachim, their job is now to take the or yashar, with the or hoser and create a third 
or which is called ortikun, which is which is the or of our desire back into our world. And so everything we're getting in our lives is all because of these three things: or Yashar is creating the world, or Chose is your desire, and ortikun is is what you get in the end. Meaning your your daughter becomes a kala after tons of rutzon and tons of tefillah. So that, that's already ortikun when when Mazeltav she's a kala. So that's an ortikun because now the the tefillahs hit the or yashar and together it created this. And her desire not to not to be alone, you know, when she reached a certain age, it was time. Her desire was so strong that it just it came. In the way that a person wants to go, they will lead him. The entities will conspire with your Ratzon. And so Hashem, Hashem not only lets you, but Hashem arranges it via His system of creation. You know, there's a, there's a, kids can push buttons. Sometimes I think about the fact that kids don't have oinshim until they're 20, is because they're insane until they're 20. How could they be responsible for it? How could they be responsible for their actions? Sometimes kids are so rebellious in their teenage years. In Israel, 16-year-olds are called tipeshesri. Sometimes kids can be so crazy that but there's only one reason they're doing it. You know why they're doing it? They're doing it because they're trying to help their parents. They're trying to help their parents because their parents made a mistake. And what was that mistake? The mistake the parents made was that they let how they, let how they look in public, like, you know, how they're coming off to the neighbors, how they look in the veld, they made that more important than the child's well-being, meaning, meaning how you look's more important than your own kids. Now, this is a major breach of contract. Major. Because when a family is pregnant with a child, this is a little, little medrash I'm making up on my own here. When parents are pregnant with a child, the neshumas, when they're sleeping, when they find out they're pregnant, the neshumas go up and they have a little conversation with the angels. And the angels say, the angel says to the parents, you know, we see you're going to have a baby. And the parents are like, yeah. And mazel tov. And the, and the angel says, you know, it's been, uh, it's been uh, established in heaven that the only way your child's going to ever be okay and well and safe in this world is your child has to have one address on earth where he or she is safe, no matter what. Where they are loved unconditionally, where it doesn't matter what they do, say, good, bad, that they have one address where they're loved no matter what. And the parents are like, yeah, we agree. We agree with that. And then the angels say, well, we thought it should be your address. I mean, shouldn't it naturally be the parents' address? And the parents are like, for sure, our address. That should be the safe place for our child. And then you know what the angel says? The angel says, sign. And so the parents sign. Now, by the way, that signature that the parents sign, 
they, they do a little uh, carbon copy of it. You know, you, car you ever remember the old carbon things that would copy it? So there's a carbon copy. You know why? Because either they're going to keep their word, and that's the signature, or the signature will be saved for checks being written to therapists. So they save the signature for the checks for later. And by the way, this all makes sense because therapists have to make money anyway. I mean, think about it. The, the, I mean, God ultimately has to feed everybody. So, so he makes sure that people with the money ignore their kids the most. <laughs> and now the therapists get to feed their children. so funny they argue, you know, communism, capitalism. Don't they realize God's, like, making sure the right money is everywhere? Like, God's got this. He doesn't need us arguing over communism or capitalism and stuff. He's going to make sure all the money winds up where, where it belongs in the end. Okay. Now, um, now the... Where was I holding? Where was I just holding? Yeah, it's got to be a safe place. That's going to be a safe place. And then you know what? I think this angel was the same angel that touches the baby and he forgets all of Torah. Because the parents forget as soon as the child's born. And the kid grows up and the parents are like more interested in what the neighbors are saying than how their kid's doing. And then what happens in the end is the kid, you know, will wake the parents up. When kids get rebellious, they're waking you up. What does that mean, they're waking you up? They're waking you up to your original signature that you would make them more important than anyone else. To where love would become unconditional. Once love's unconditional, your home is safe. When love's not unconditional, your home is dangerous. If you have to earn love in your home, if you have to earn love in your home, your home ain't safe. And I'll tell you, you're allowed to play with love a little bit. Meaning, meaning you're allowed to... Uh, <laughs> you're, allowed to play, you're allowed to play with love a little bit. Let's say you're a mechanech. You're a mechanech. Or a mechanechet. Or a minahelet. Or a minhahel. You're allowed to play with love a little bit, get the kids, you know, behaving and stuff, and you know, doing well on their exams and stuff like that. You're allowed to play with it, not in your home, not in your home. Don't use love as a gun. Don't use love as a gun against anyone's head, hostage, based on behavior. Question. What? How do you use it as a gun? Are you just tr under trying to understand what I'm saying? What would be the mistake? The mistake would be the mistake would be um, that when your child didn't do so well or didn't or didn't behave so well, is to um, not be loving towards them. Not to be loving. You want an example of how not to be loving? You're just asking practically? So one of the things I do is if my kid needs punishing, 
I make sure I have time to spend time with that kid afterwards to make sure that kid understands that they're loved really it wasn't them it was their actions I distinguish the doing and the being and so if I had to punish a kid I would make them I make it really clear it was their actions that I'm upset about that's why they had to go to the room or that's why they got a pitch and they're and but they're really amazing and in fact what they did was beneath them because I hold so highly of them but it's better really to safeguard any of this and that's to communicate that you love them no matter what at the beginning there's two major times you got to do this when your kids are really little you tell them that you love them no matter what all the time all the time I take my kids I'll hold my little girls or my little boys and I'll tell them that you know just when we're alone when no one's listening I'll say Tati loves you so much and the kids like I know Tati and I'll say I love you if you're gonna be a good boy I know Tati. I say, but I love you even if you'd be a bad boy. Meaning if you did the wrong things, I'll still love you. I'm never ever going to stop loving you. That's the one time is when they're really little, you make it really known to your children that they're loved no matter what. No matter what. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to be good kids because they don't have to teach you any lessons. They're going to be really good because the kids, as I said before, the principle is that if you don't do this, your kids are going to, not every kid, some kids are called the good kids. You know, they're, they're what I call the Yitzchak Avinu kids. I mean, they fit well with structure. It's the Avram Avinu kids that are going to give you a hard time because don't forget, Avram Avinu broke all of his father's idols. And what bigger idol do we have than trying to impress the community with how Ehrlich our family is? And is that not the biggest idol shop ever? And so it takes an Avram Avinu type neshuma. It's really funny when you see couples, you know, the woman's pregnant, she's at the koisel, and the husband's on the other side of the mechitz, and they're davening, their kids should be a tzaddik, you know. What are they really saying? They're saying, God, please don't give us an Avram. Don't give us an Avram. We want a Yitzchak. We don't want any phone calls home from the Minhahel. Yeah? We don't, want to, we don't want to hear about this kid. And so... And so, we, uh, and so we're, we're really interested in a kid who fits in, fits in well and doesn't, doesn't make a difference. Let's have a kid who doesn't make a difference. But what happens is, Baruch Hashem, we have lots of kids usually in each family. There's at least several that you can get an Avram Avinu or I don't know who was rebellious amongst the women, but you get a nice rebellious kid. And they wake us up so that we can do Teshuvah on breaching the contract with our child that we held love over their heads. Just on a side point, because you asked that question, the second time you want to do this is right around bar mitzvah, right when their bodies are changing, they're becoming, you know, that what happens is our system holds them much higher now to responsibility. And you want to let them know that it's us against the world. Because what they start to feel, because they, they notice how nervous you are to look good, like they should look good for the community. Especially the bar mitzvah, the bas mitzvah, like they can sense it vibrationally. They sense it. You don't even have to say anything. They sense it. And also, be really careful never to. Um, oh, just to finish that is that you let them know it's us against the world. It's not the world against you. We're on your team. You let your kid know that when they're bar bat mitzvah, we're with you. We're with you to the end of the world. No matter what you choose, you don't want to wind up in an Avi Fischoff situation years down the line. You know how you keep yourself from an Avi Fischoff situation? You know what Avi Fischoff is? You know what that is? Avi Fischoff means that if a kid goes off, according to Avi Fischoff, and this is really extreme, you just give him and give him and give him. 
They want pork, buy them the pork. They want to go to Vegas, call the travel agent. They want to bring someone into the house and move into their room with them without going into graphic detail. Go get the sheets. This is the Avi Fischoff derech. It's really extre- extreme. Really extreme. How do you make sure you never wind up in the Avi Fischoff tshuva? Because that's it's just tshuva. He's having the parents do tshuva. What kind of tshuva is that? And the answer is, you have to be godlike. You have to swing the other way because you fell so far down in the be- in the looking good aspect, trying to look good for everybody at the expense of that kid. You went so far into looking good that now you got to go and look terrible. It looks so bad to be in the Avi Fischoff place. And now you got you got to be just like God. you got to arrange Averas. You have to arrange the Averas of your children. By the way, people ask me all the time, what's my opinion of Avi Fischoff? People ask me all the time, what's my, what's my um, opinion of that? So you know what my answer is? I still have that answer, but I finally understand Avi Fischoff after all these years is that my answer is it's too extreme and we can be smarter than that. And my other answer is that you should never ever come to that because when your kids are finally moving into adulthood, i.e. bar and bat mitzvah, you, you let it be known then that they're loved no matter what. Fix whatever you haven't fixed. Do tshuva if you haven't done tshuva. When all of you go home after Shabbos, every one of you go do tshuva with your kids. If one thing you got from, the, from, the, from being at Shabbos Kirtani, when you get home, you do tshuva. And thank God you're all young enough to not be in trouble yet. You do tshuva. You make sure your kids know that they're number one, two, and three, and four, and five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And, the, and whatever the velt says is not your concern. And don't think you're being mechanic your children by having comments about other communities. or They even watch your facial muscles when someone walks by who's not dressed quite as sneeze as they should be. They're watching your facial muscles. Because if they see you have a judgment of that, that means they're judged. Because didn't every one of us have fantasies when we were little? Didn't every one of us, when we walked around, we saw ourselves as the tzaddik, but also the, the Russia, the tzaddikis and the, and, the, and the bad girl? Like, didn't we all have these thoughts in our minds? And, and wow, my parents wouldn't accept me. And if, your par- if you ever had the thought your parents wouldn't accept you, that means your home wasn't safe. Which means it's a breach of contract. So when you go home, you do tshuva after the Shabbos. Sunday afternoon, you go, go do tshuva with your kids. Let them know they're number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They're, they're, they're your priority, not the velt. And then you'll see your kids are going to be tzaddikim. Kids are going to be tzaddikim because they got partners, parents. Kids don't know what they're going to do with the world. They're looking to you. And when they see you love them unconditionally, they're going to be like you. This is how you make tzaddikim. Because your kids don't know what to do. They're going to want to be like you. They're little kids. 11-year-old, 12 or 13, they're not very old. They're looking to you for every move. <sighs> Think about this one. Once in a while when those kids, the rebellious one, what do the parents do? Obviously, most parents point at the kid. You know, they're always pointing at the kid. I get phone calls all the time. We need you to speak to our Yankee. I'm like, okay, can we meet first? They're like, no, Yankee's the problem. Say, well, I'd like to meet with you. 
I'm like, you don't need to meet with us. We're doing great. Everyone's fine. Kids are fine. Everyone's great. Yankees a problem. Meet with the Yankee. And I say, you know, I'd like to meet with you first. You should know that at least a quarter of those families, I never even met Yankee. I never met Yankee. All I did was help facilitate the parents' teshuva, and Yankee was right back on the derech. Never met Yankee. I don't even know who Yankee is. I'm running the Possible Youth Seminar, which is going to be in Muncie next week. Uh, men starts Sunday. Not this coming week, but the following. Next. The men starts Sunday the 10th. Women starts the 11th. And one time someone asked me, like, why do you bother coming out here to Muncie? Because my seminars are packed in Israel. Like, I, I really don't need to come to Brooklyn or Muncie. Like, it's not necessary at all. And I don't, I don't know why. It's also more expensive for me to do the seminar here. Like, why am I bothering? People have asked me. I said, because I don't want to counsel your kids. Because I've never had to counsel kids of graduates of mine. I'm running the seminar 17 years. Never had a kid of them. A kid of my graduates. Because they're home. They go home from the seminar. And they make their home safe. It's a safe space. And you don't want 7-Eleven Muncie to be the only safe place they ever found. That's for sure. It's amazing that kids think the street's safer than their own home. I mean, we really lost it if our kids think the street. Because there's nothing safer for any kid than their own home. But somehow these kids think the street's safer. Well, that's only, we only got one prison blame. See, when you, they point their finger at Yankee, where are those other three fingers pointing? Everyone say right back at you. Together, one, two, three. Everyone together on three, right back at you. When you point your finger at Yankee, where are those other three fingers pointing? Right back at you. Okay? It's three to one. It's three to one. Yankee might be a real knucklehead. I mean, he could be a real wingnut. And he probably is a wingnut, and he's probably an Avram Avinu Nishuma. He's here to test. And thank God, because if you don't test things, you know, our, our whole... Our whole communities would just fall through the, the hole. We need someone to test the system so that eventually the system wakes up and shifts based on the dynamism of, of life. Why do institutions rise and fall? Because the top of the institution is always trying to hold on to everything and they refuse to pay any attention to what's going on down below. And they're afraid to look bad or they're afraid to lose their jobs or whatever. Probably, they, we should set up our moizdois that the longest you can be a minal is five years. You can be a minalist for five years, that's it. In five years, you're already, your finger's not on the pulse anymore. We've got to bring someone up from below who gets the kids. Anyway, we're going to wrap up in a sec. When you point your finger at Yankee, the other fingers are pointing right back at you. Listen up. When that kid is told to stop coming home because he's going to poison the other kids, you understand? You've got a bunch of tzaddikim in the house and in comes, you know, you know little, the little monster. You know? So what do we do? We send that kid out. Because we don't want that kid to poison the rest of the family, right? Well, guess what? It's too late. Because the second a kid gets sent out, you just poison the family. Because you just made a statement very loud and clear that our home has a digestive system. You behave a certain way, it digests you. You behave a cert- another way, 
you're out. And so the, the lucky kid's Yankee. Yankee at least will go get some help. The rest of them are going to be good. At least on, the rest of them are going to be good, at least on the outside. They'll be good. And they'll be raised in that unsafe environment. And that'll be the life. So people will ask me, so what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? And I tell them, I say, listen, you're li- you're, the home you thought you had is now swirling down the toilet. You're going to be having a rough ride. But you can't kill everybody by sending out Yankee. You can't kill everybody. You've got to at least show your kids that you're loyal. That there's loyalty as parents. You can't have a Havasha to Louis Badover. So yeah, your fi- whatever you thought your family was, it's not. And so now you, you're going to have to deal with that. It's going to be crazy ride. Because who knows who's getting influenced by Yankee. You can try to get Yankee to uh, say, when you're in our house, you've got to keep these rules. You can try that. But Baruch Hashem for the Shabbos Kirtani. Thank God you're all such young couples. And you've all got such young kids. And what you're going to hear throughout Shabbos is going to guarantee your kids are going to be Erlich. You're going to have Erlich kids, because you're Erlich. And when I say Erlich, I don't mean Erlich like the Welt says Erlich. I mean Erlich from outside and within. And you may have to do some healing to get there. It could be that you've got some stuff inside that's got to get dealt with. That's why I run these programs that I run. But I'll give you a bracha that all of us will do Teshuvah this weekend. And that we're going to be the best parents that there ever were. Thank you very much. Say amen. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.